God's house. Amen? And a house quite often reflects the one who designed it. There is certain architecture that you drive around and you can say that house was built in this era because it speaks to whoever designed it. There's actually even famous people that have designed homes. And quite often the home or the house becomes a revelation or it shows a display of that individual. So sometimes people design homes and they love the open concept. And so as they design it, it becomes an expression of the designer or the builder. And that's the same in God's house. This house reflects the one who designed it. That's God. Now, yes, we have particular peculiarities because of who we are. But the house here should reflect God. And not only that, but as we've looked at the subject, we also realized not only is this the house, but you and I actually are the house of God. The temple of the Holy Spirit. We actually house God in us. I mean, that's phenomenal. This broken vessel, this flawed individual, this person who cries and mourns and weeps and grieves, this person who can't figure out how to get the heating system to work, yet God lives and dwells within me amidst all my faults and failures. And thank you for not saying amen. Oh, yes, but then look in the mirror. But we serve a God who actually chose to dwell in us. I mean, he, he chose, like, these are, I, I'm amazed when I think about God. I marvel at him. We've talked about this as a house. We talked about a family. We talked about this as a house of prayer. And actually, we spent three weeks on prayer couple of them planned, and then one week we just, um, after the floods, we said, you know what, we're going to take a, a Sunday and we're just going to pray for our community. And I'm so happy to see people from Chilliwack here today. It's been a tough go. <laughs> Amen. Welcome. Welcome. It, it's, it's been, I thought 2020 was crazy. 2021's been a year. But I'm here to tell you we serve the King of Kings. And, and we serve the Lord of Lords, the capital L Lord of small letter L Lords. And so we, we are now on This is a House of Love, and I want to take the next couple weeks building up to Christmas looking at love because Christmas is one of the greatest expressions of love there is to see. And I don't care if you dress it up in a red suit and even commercialize it, there is still this element in the world that looks at Christmas to celebrate giving, to celebrate family, to celebrate joy and festivities. 
They may not understand it all, but they do understand that there is this, this thing that's, that's greater than just what they live in in the moment. You and I know the secret. His name is Jesus. His name is not Santa. His name's Jesus. He does say, ho. He says, ho, everyone who's thirsty, come. <laughs> he doesn't say, ho, ho, ho. He says, ho, if you're thirsty, come. But this morning, I want to take a few more minutes, and I, I want to have a little bit of interaction. So I'm going to ask some of you to step out of your comfort zone. I'm, I'm don't think it's going to translate well for the video, but what I want to do is I want to talk about love. I'm not going to preach about it. What I want to do is just talk about it, but I want to talk about it in the context of the life of Jesus, and, and I grew up in Sunday school, so for me, I have this picture that we're all sitting around a table, and, and in Sunday school, quite often, the, the teacher would say, okay, I'm going to read six verses, and I want you to think of what is the one word that constantly shows up in this verse, and then you tell me. I'm not going to ask that, but what I want to do is I want to read. I've got like John chapter 2, John chapter 3, John chapter 4, and John chapter 5. So the quicker you answer and the quicker you participate, the sooner you go home. So it's like, I've got a captive audience. We may not get to all of these, but I want to invite your participation this morning. Because sometimes we come, and all I'm doing is throwing out information, but today what I want to do is I want to hear what's inside of you, what's resonating inside of you. And it's, it, as, as we do this, what I do want us to do is think about the word love. So as we go through this passage and I ask a question, what I'm trying to do is, is I want you, as I read this passage, to get a picture of God's love or a, a, how does it resonate with you. So I'll read the first passage. I'll read parts of it. And then I'll share with you, I'll just kind of show you what I'm seeing out of that scripture with respect to love. And then I'm going to invite some of you. And you might not get to have an answer. You, you might. And what I'm going to ask you to do is, is uh, and because it's a little cooler in here today, you could almost stand up and do a little dance and I'll see you. But what I'd like to do is if you have something you want to add, I'll ask and then I'd ask you just to raise your hand. And then, and then you can just shout out the thought that comes to you. Are you guys game? Because I, I, think we've painted, I think we've painted a church service sometimes that isn't an interactive service. And I believe service is interactive. So we're going we're gonna to push the envelope a little bit. If you've got your Bibles, turn to John chapter 2. And, and I'm going to read, it's, it's the first 11 verses. This is a miracle at Cana. And on the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. When the, and now, think of this in the concept of Jesus displaying God's love. Okay, that, that's how I want to filter it this morning. Jesus displaying God's love. And Jesus and his disciples, and he only had a few disciples at that time, were invited to the wedding. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus says to him, they have no wine. 
And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour hasn't yet come. His mom says to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. Now there were six stone water parts set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. I'm a math person, so that's like 120 to 180 gallons. Those large gallon uh, drums that we see are like 45-gallon drums. So there was like three, a minimum of three of those full of water for the amount of volume. That's a lot of water. I mean, he didn't have like 10 people at this wedding. It must have been like a pretty good-sized feast. And they ran out of what they already had. So, I mean, this must have been quite the shindig. This, this must have been quite the party. And, and, and he says, so Jesus, so they come to him, and his mom says, just whatever he tells you to do, do it. And so they come to him, and Jesus says to him, fill the water parts with water, the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim, and then he says to them, draw some water out, or draw some out, and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. The head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew. Can you imagine them drawing water, going we either are going to make real fools out of ourselves or something's going to happen. I, I, I try to imagine being there. We read it and it sounds so straightforward, but what if I gave you a glass of water and I say, or a cup of water and I said, now take that cup and give it to that person because they'd like apple juice. Because I don't drink wine, so for me it's apple juice, grape juice, whatever. And, and just give it to them, and, and they take it and they go, man, that's delicious. And I'm thinking, wow, like, this, think of this in, in the display of God's love. And, and the head waiter says to them, and says, every man serves the best good wine first. I love this. And when the people have drunk freely... He serves the poor. Why? Why? Because you can get away with it. Because they're drunk. Because they're intoxicated. Because they're not thirsty anymore. Because they're not thinking straight. So he gives them all the good stuff, and then it's like, great. Now they're still hungry, but we can just serve them the cheap stuff. And, and please, please be honest here. This is how many of us would do it. Can we be honest? I gave you the best I have. Now you're just going to get the bare ends of me. But here's a display of love. They usually serve the poorer stuff, but you've kept the good stuff till now. And this was the beginning of his signs. So as part of our Sunday school discussion this morning, love displayed. He did not let things run out. 
love does not have a limit. Yes, I believe in boundaries. No problem with boundaries. You can't get a hold of me after 10 o'clock at night. In fact, probably after 9.30. And you're probably best that you don't. Come on, somebody smile. I know you're smiling under the mask, but, but love does not let things run out. But can I tell you something that happens? I have people that knock on my door at 3 in the morning. And you know what I'd done? I got up. I went to bed an hour later, but I got up. I've had people knock on my window at 6.30 in the morning when it's still dark out. Why? Because that's love. Because that's family. And love does things that goes beyond the normal parameters. My children can get a hold of me at any time of the day or any time of the night. And there has been occasion when they have. But they don't make a habit of it because usually they're asleep. But love does not run out. In fact, love gives its best as it keeps giving. So this is what I'm pulling, taking out of this. So I'm asking the Holy Spirit right now for each one of you to get revelations, to get little light bulbs of, of a display of love. We're talking about this is a house of love. But I don't want you just to hear what I have to say. I'd like to hear what God is saying to you. Because what God is saying to you, you will keep and you will remember. So I wrote down, love displayed, did not let things run out, even when he said it wasn't his time. Here's God, God in the flesh, saying it's not time yet. And his mom says, no, whatever he says, do it. Even if you don't think it's your time, even if you don't think, you still have the opportunity to do something. I also wrote this down. He wasn't trying to be sneaky. He saved the best for last. He didn't just try to get away with, what's the bare minimum here? He wasn't like, what do I have to do just to get them happy? And to get? No, he saved the best for last. So I want to go now to another. So, so that's a couple thoughts I have. I want to go to another passage, and this is where I'm going to invite a little bit of interaction. A conversation with Nicodemus. The next chapter, chapter 3. There's 21 verses. I'm not going to read them all. But there's a man of the Pharisees who's a smart, intelligible, intellectual, and intelligent man who's been trained and taught in the law. And he comes to Jesus at nighttime. I... <laughs> Because he's probably afraid if people see him coming to Jesus. And he says, you know, I know you're a teacher from God, for no one can do those signs that you've done except God's with them. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say unto you, unless one's born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. We've used that word born again so many times, I think we forget what it actually means. It means we've been reborn. 
It means we have a new birth date. It means we are no longer just flesh, but now there's something else that governs my life and gives me life, and that's God, his spirit living in me, and I'm actually born of the spirit. And God is is displaying this to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus, this smart man, goes, how can a person be born again? He can't go back into his mom's tummy. And you think, well, duh. But that is how confused this gentleman was. Now think about this in the context of love. And I'm just going to read a couple verses that we see here. Jesus says to him in verse 11, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you don't accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Love brings you to another dimension. Love reveals something to you that is more than just earthly. When you're born of the Spirit, you have a connection with God that he reveals things to you that he doesn't reveal to others. Why? Because you are not looking in the same way as they are. Love is extremely practical, but love is also very spiritual. And we've seen this amazing outpouring of love in our community these last couple weeks. I mean, it's been phenomenal to see. But there's also a spiritual aspect of love. And it's the releasing of God's love. And what I want you to see here is Jesus tells us in this passage that you and I can testify of things that other people haven't seen. Why? Because we've been born of the Spirit. Love opens up a dimension to you that you will see things that other people won't see. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and they who believed on that were healed he said so whoever believes in me will have eternal life and then we see first john uh, john 3 16 for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life everlasting life he gives him a description of the plan of salvation and by the way, the plan of salvation didn't necessarily have a prayer. It had a belief. Believe in Jesus. You believe in Jesus, your life will change, and your life will display what you believe in. In fact, every one of us, what you live displays what you believe. That was free. That wasn't in my notes. That just came to me. That was free. And then goes down to 19. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light so that his deeds may be manifest as being have been wrought in God. 
I wrote down a couple thoughts here with respect to the love of God. Love explains the way of salvation. Love is the salvation, the redeeming, or the renewing that God has for you and I. I also wrote down that love does not compromise. Jesus is talking to a real intellectual person here. And he doesn't water it down. He's honest with him and says, listen, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. Love has boundaries. Love is strong. And Jesus is saying, oh, well, you know, I guess, oh, oh, man, you've got a lot of training. Yeah, that, 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 that gets, you've got a couple steps up there. You're doing okay. You don't have to worry about this. You, no, he says, no, unless you're born again. Love has standards, and love does not compromise. Have the standards that God has for you, and then let love be the one or the person or the action that sustains and holds that. Does anybody here have any thoughts out of the story of Nicodemus that you'd like to share about love? Raise your hand if you do. Going once. Going twice. That's okay. You don't have to if you don't. What I want to do is I want to have some conversation about the love of God. Here's one. John 4, the Samaritan woman at the well. If you've got your Bible, just flip over the page. Verse 7, there came a woman of Samaria, Samaria to draw water. And Jesus says to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone way back into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman says to him, how is it you being a Jew ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now if you looked at the map, what you find out is Jerusalem was down on the bottom, and then there was this whole area called Samaria, and then you had another area that the Jewish people lived in, up Galilee. And so for them to get from one area to the other, they'd either go straight through Samaria or they'd go around. And quite often they would go around. And they had this ethnic racial prejudice against the Samaritan people. And Jesus is gone through Samaria, and, and she couldn't understand why is he talking to me because the Jews don't have dealings with him. And Jesus answered her and says, if you know the gift of God, who, is, who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would have given you living water. And she says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with the well, and the well is deep. Where then do you get this living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? And he, he's the one who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle. And Jesus answers her and says, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman says to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't be thirsty nor come at all to draw here. 
Love speaks at a level sometimes that we don't understand. Jesus is having a conversation with her, and he's up here having this conversation, and she's still down here trying to figure out drinking the water. It doesn't run out. How can this be? And then he goes to her. Go call your husband and come here. And she says, I have no husband. And he says, you've said correctly you have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one who you have now is not your husband. Now, she must be quite an individual. And the woman says to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Think about the context, the context of love. What would we do and what do we think of people in our interaction? Because in our interactions with people, we have views and we have filters and we have these things that we look at and we decide pretty quickly on how we're going to respond. You know what they say about first impressions? Her first impression was not very good. And Jesus says, you know what? You're right. Your husband, and then she tries to ask him about where to worship, and, and he, he goes, God is a spirit, and those that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. And she goes, oh, man, I know that, that, that you're the one who's Christ, and, and, he, and he declares all things to us, and he says, I who speak to you am he. And at this point, his disciples come back, and they're asking him, why are you speaking with her? And she left her water part, and I, th I thought this was kind of funny. Sometimes the scripture has some really funny words in it. He says, the woman left her water part and went into the city and said to the men, like, hey, guys, come and see a man who told me all these things that I've done, that this is not the Christ, is it? And they went out while they were coming to him. Meanwhile... All his disciples were saying, eat, have food. And he says, I have a food to eat that you don't know about. There is a satisfaction that happens in walking in love that satisfies something that food can't satisfy. Have you ever done something for somebody and walked away and actually felt a difference? And that's not just a chemical stimuli. That's actually God and love. Now, yes, there are actual physiological things, but have you ever done something and walked away and go, man, that just felt good. That, that just, just felt right. And he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. So he talks about this. And then they came to him and they asked him to stay even a few days. And he says a couple more days. So not only is he going through Samaria, but then he actually stays there with them. And they believe on him. So what are some of the thoughts that I have here? First of all, I see love on display. He didn't judge. He had a pretty good opportunity to judge. She had like three or four or five strikes against her. She was Samaritan. He shouldn't be talking to her. He was a Jew. Jews were better than the Samaritans. That's how they looked at. That's how they thought. 
She, would, she didn't have a husband. She was shacked up with a guy. She already had five husbands. I mean, he's look, she had a few things going against her. And what does he do? He doesn't judge, but he extends out to her. Does anybody have any thoughts on this passage? Alicia, nice and loud. Awesome. Awesome. Could everybody hear okay? All right. There was another hand, Pastor Brenda. I see that just there was one over here awesome Charlene
Awesome. Awesome. I, I wrote a couple other thoughts, too. Love has different metrics, different ways to measure. Have you ever found that you measure something one way, but when God grabs you, you might look at it a little different? The beginning of this book in John 1, it says that they had Moses for the law, but when Jesus came, it was grace and truth. He changed the way people love. He changed the way people lived. And so love has a different metric. This is a house of love. I believe when somebody walks through these doors, they should have an experience from God that is different than they have out there. Now, hopefully, we will grow so much that this experience in here goes out there. It's not meant to be just within these four walls. But sometimes people come into a building, into a church building, and they have a thought and an idea of what to expect. And I believe we owe people an encounter with the love of God. We owe that to people. This is a house of love. We owe to the person coming in who's broken, who's hurt, who's maybe made poor life choices, and haven't we all? But we owe it to them to give them water for their soul. We owe it to them to give them the plan of salvation. We owe it to them to extend a love that has no boundaries and only gets better and better and better as you experience and as you grow in it. When somebody walks through these doors, and in fact, I don't just think it's somebody who's not a part of this church, but when you come into this building, my prayer is that you will get touched by the love of God. Because I have found I need his touch. I haven't got it all figured out. I have days, I have moments. And what I have found is when I get touched by you, it lifts my spirit. And I have an encounter with God that isn't just me and God. Sometimes that encounter is us and God. And this is a house of love. And just these three passages for me gives an amazing picture of what love can and should look like. And you know what? We're not going to get it right every single time. You know what? We can try. We can try. And some of the ways I've learned how to try is I've learned I keep this shut a little longer. Come on. I've said things sometimes so fast when if I just heard, it might have changed how I responded. Another way I can do a love on display 
is by being ready to give and to not just say, I'm tapping out, I'm finished. Now, there are limits, and yes, I know we are human and we do have our limits, but I would suggest to you, bring the best you to the table. In every conversation, my goal is to bring the best David to the conversation. That's what Jesus did. He brought the best Jesus to the conversation. Now, when I finish that conversation, I might need to get refreshed. I might need to spend time with God. I might need time to rest. Yes, do that. But bring the best you to the table. When you do that, it's the best for you and it's best for those. I'm doing some marriage prep classes with some people. And, I, and one of the biggest things I'm seeing is if you want your marriage to be better, bring the best you to the marriage. Don't wait for your spouse to bring the best. You bring the best. In every conversation, I'm going to be the best in this conversation that I can be. I'm tired, I'm exhausted, but I'm going to be the best. And that's what Jesus does here. He's hungry, but he says, I've got something else to eat that fills me up. And if you read the Bible, you'll find out Jesus went alone to pray. Jesus went away from the crowd. So he doesn't just, he has times to restore. But when you interact with people, ask God for this amazing infilling of the Spirit that will give love to them. Because this is a house of love. Not because I said so, but because God says so. And because God is the one who designs this house. And God is love. Um, i got to finish because I'm going over time. But I appreciate your interaction. And I've got another passage, but I might save that for next week. The love that Jesus was showing had multiple purposes. It did not have prerequisites. I want you to get this. It met people where they were. It was for the people that he touched for that specific moment. But it was also for the ones who were following him to see how to do it. You and I are disciples, and we are making disciples. We are learning so if you see someone display love, it's not just for that individual, it's for you too. It was also a display of what heaven looks like. And his prayer was, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And our prayer here at Solid Rock is that we would see heaven on earth. And part of that is that this is a house of love. And it starts with me displaying his love. It starts with you displaying his love. Amen? Amen. I've got a couple announcements here. This Friday...